you for joining us for the Red View Blue View podcast, where two voices on opposite sides of the political aisle talk politics, current events, and social issues. This is Shelley. I'm an independent, progressive, and left-leaning with a pinch of fiscal conservatism. I think we should all engage in civil discourse with those who have different points of view. So let's get started. This is Shelley. Thanks for listening. Today, we're hearing from a younger generation, a more youthful perspective on politics, specifically Generation Z. I'm happy to be joined here by Scott Romano, a senior at the University of Denver studying international business and economics. He's also the co-founder and CEO of Cultivo Media, a digital consulting firm focused on community impact projects. And I'd like to hear more about that, Scott. Yeah, of course. Starting in high school, Scott has been an active participant in every election since, and every level of government, working with leaders like John Hickenlooper to appeal and engage young voters. Scott grew up in a conservative family and then became more liberal later in life. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. I'm excited to chat for a while. Well, I wanted to start by asking you a question. Scott, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, many of us have become a little jaded watching our U.S. Congress, who seems to me, in my opinion, for the most part, to be bought and paid for on both sides of the aisle, not serving ordinary Americans, rather sort of serving special interests, um, in particular, in my view, large corporate interests. So I'm curious from your perspective, Scott, uh, how do Gen Z and millennials view our political institutions and your power within them? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, right off the bat, uh, these institutions are broken. We're spending more on education than we ever have before. We're going into jobs that are paying less than they ever have before. Wages haven't changed at all. Congressmen are sitting in their positions for 60 years when they probably should have retired 40 years ago. Uh, and I think we're doing our best to elect younger people and, and putting people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez into office and and really making some great strides in modernizing our institutions. But uh, if there's anything about America that I think we've learned, it's that our institutions are institutions for a reason. They don't change. And uh, while our population has totally changed the way we think about problems and the way we approach society and community, um, the institutions haven't changed at all to match that. And so we're seeing a political race right now that is essentially institutionalists versus uh, newcomers. And, and granted, Bernie Sanders has been in office for, what, like 32, 35 years or something? Right. Uh, but for some reason, he's saying we need to tear every everything apart. Um, and I think that that's important. And you've even got younger candidates like uh, Mayor Pete, who's coming in. And granted, he's, what is he, 36, 37? Right. Um, and he somehow is also like this massive institutionalist. Um, we're sort of sick and tired of the standard political resume. And we want to see people step in and do something different and approach problems different and really modernize our government to make it work for us. That's interesting, Scott. Um, how do you think your generation and, and millennials sort of got to that point? Yeah, I think that we started seeing people pointing problems out. Um, if anything, we've been a generation that is not afraid at all to speak our mind. And with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, People are going out and they're sharing photos of them at rallies and protests. They're going out, they're, you know, nowadays if I want to hang out with my friends, you could essentially uh, make your Saturday morning, let's go protest at Civic Center Park in front of the Capitol right. uh, about any number of issues that, that my friends care about. Um, we've even seen, you know, on our campus right now at DU, there's a huge campaign going on against anti-sexual assault, um, which is very important, and, and I think that they're doing a really great job with it. 
Um, and the campaign is literally just sharing stories. And I think that that's so incredibly important. We're a generation that has found true sort of solace and comfort in telling stories and being a part of stories. And we realized our story was not being told at the national level or being told by the sort of leadership level at all, government, politics, business. Um, and I think that we wanna, we wanna be a part of that story. And so recognizing that it is broken because it's so hard for us to get involved in that, you can't run for office unless you're already a millionaire or you know 15 millionaires that are willing to right. financially back your campaign. Uh, that really dissuades any 25-year-old who's qualified to run for the house to, to go and do it. Um, and more importantly, we're going into jobs that we can't even take the time off to raise kids and get married. Like, um, So it's important that we're seeing the system broken specifically to us, uh, and, and we want to be a part of it. And I think that that's really important for especially these leaders to understand. That's interesting because I was thinking about the difference between your generation and mine in terms of economics. There's a New York Times article dated February 18, 2020. It's entitled, The Ones We've Been Waiting For, How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America. It says, quote, the low salaries and scarcity of jobs that confronted many of us upon graduating from college meant it took us much longer than previous generations to find our way in the world, to say nothing of repaying the loans we took out for our very expensive degrees. By the time jobs began to come back in 2012, employers were looking for younger, cheaper graduates, leaving some of us stuck in underemployment. As I was reading that, Scott, I also thought about inflation and yeah. how you know, my kids uh, will be faced with you know, everything being so prohibitively expensive because of the way inflation has affected uh, us and is affecting your generation, not to mention school. So for Gen Xers like me, yes, there were many people who received college degrees and couldn't necessarily get a job in their field. The difference was we had less debt than, than your generation does. Yep. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit more in terms of, you know, economically, whether you think this has uh, had a big impact on uh, the way your generation views politics? Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a, a college degree that's worth $240,000, and wow. I can tell you that it's not worth that at all. And I don't think any higher education degree is worth that amount of money. Um, I'm really lucky that obviously I'm not paying $240,000. I've got parents that saved up their whole lives to send their kids to college and taking out you know, a five-figure loan myself, so I'm able to go. Um, <laughs> I think they also wanted me invested in my education, so I didn't just get to hang out around campus all day. Right. Um, but no, I think you're hitting on a really good point, which is the role that our parents play in our lives and the way that we think about these problems and the way we approach financial intelligence. Um, I can tell you, I don't think most Gen Zers understand how credit cards work or what APR even stands for. Really? Um, and as we're getting closer to graduating and moving into careers, I'm telling you, the amount of friends that I have that don't understand how to actually pay rent or how to write a check. Um, I went with my friend to go buy a car uh, a few weeks ago and she's writing a check for $16,000 and she uh, just didn't even know how to fill it out. She was like, where do I put all this information? Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are not <laughs> on the right path at all. Um, and I think that that's really important is the economy shifts from this very traditional style of work, nine to five, 40 hours a week, um, single income household, moving much more into a shared economy. Uh, part of the work my company does in this is we've built a platform named Resilar, a resume and scholar put together and it's connecting student freelancers at universities with the alumni and local business community. Great. And so we're at the University of Denver and we've got about 200 students on the platform connecting with something like 50 or 60 alumni that are hiring them for just small little jobs, just doing photography, graphic design, um, web development, anything like that. 
And that's fantastic. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, it's crazy to see how the students that are about to graduate are thinking about what their careers want to be. No longer are students wanting to graduate and go work for companies like IBM or Condé Nast or anything like that. They want to become freelancers. They want to start their own companies. They're entrepreneurial. They're energized. They're excited. Um, and they want to have impact. They want to have independence and they want to be their own boss. And I think that that's incredibly important. But we're losing this massive part of the workforce of people that want to go out and, and do those corporate jobs because the, a lot of those corporate jobs, they require college degrees. They are not paying as much as they used to. Um, no more wages, Yeah, wages have been stagnant for like 30 years at this point. And if you're a recent college grad, you've seen your parents or your older siblings go to school for way cheaper than we're going for. Our financial aid is being cut every year. The cost of the amenities that they have at these college campuses is out of control. I was just reading a book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, and he was talking specifically about um, the generation born after 1995, which, depending on how you define it, young millennial, old Gen Zer, uh, sure. okay Zoomer, um, we're treating colleges as if we're customers and we deserve good grades because we're paying this much to go there. We deserve a pool at our gym or a rock wall. And universities are having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these amenities and new buildings just to attract students to come there because they realize that the value of a college education is no longer there. Uh, Google, based out of Boulder, or Google has an office in Boulder, um, and they don't even require college degrees for most of the positions that they're hiring for. I'm in the process of applying for jobs uh, as I get closer to graduation, and I'm shocked at the number of jobs I'm applying for at sort of these legacy firms, these Fortune 500 companies that don't require college degrees. Right. So I'm wondering why did I just spend a quarter of a million dollars on a degree? Uh, when I don't even need it for the job that I'm going for. Exactly. The book you mentioned, um, the word coddling in the, yeah, the title. coddling of the American We, mind. Gen Xers, sometimes look at the millennials and Gen Zers and say, why is it that, that you can't write the $16,000 check and you don't know what APR is and you want all these amenities at your university? You know, how did that, yeah. how did that develop when, you know, I think we think of ourselves as, Oh, we had so much independence and um, we were more self-sufficient as yeah. kids and sort of expected to have to to suffer a little bit as we entered the workforce absolutely so how did this how do you think this difference occurred yeah um so there's sort of two types of parents that i think uh well there's one type the helicopter parent that was really impactful for the older millennials i think people before 1995 um, but my generation has been the biggest victim to what they call snowplow parents, where it's not even just watching your, your kid do things, it's actually doing it for them. Right, moving uh, the snow out of the exactly. way in front of your child. Yeah, <laughs> the amount of times, I, I was just talking to a professor the other day, and he had said a parent had emailed him asking why their child got a bad grade on an essay. My understanding is that's happening to all yeah. college professors now. Absolutely, I mean, if your students are 22 years old and they can't, approach a conflict with a professor or or have a conversation like that that's embarrassing and I think that it's a generation that is incredibly reliant on systems to help them out um, but they're seeing that the systems aren't necessarily working for them um, the way that banks are able to get you into incredibly predatory loans and credit card payments and things like this um, it's heartbreaking to see that that students and, and people my age don't understand how all of that works and I think in large part, it's because our parents moved everything out of the way for us. They handled it. Mm -hmm. This idea of we need to move problems away from our children, we need to get the problems out of their way, is developing a far less resilient public 
than we ever had before in your generation, my parents' generation specifically. Um, my mom grew up in New York. She used to take the subway to school every morning and she lived in Queens and she would go around right. you know, as far as her bike would take her. I grew up on a cul-de-sac. My parents would never let me take the bike outside the neighborhood. Right. And then with phone, you know, phones, I had a phone at fifth or sixth grade. Uh, you've essentially got a, a digital tether to wherever your child is, a leash. Right. So you always know what they're doing. They're not going out and experiencing the same problems that, that you guys did. But wouldn't some, some people in your generation say, well, there's a bunch of benefits to some of that too. For example, we're not smoking cigarettes and not using seatbelts and you know, doing all these things that, yeah. that the last generation did in terms of, uh, of safety, health safety, uh, life-saving life measures. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're still developing nicotine addictions. You've got Juul out there and any other type of vape product. You've got weed that's more publicly available than it's ever been before. And with cell phones, you've got distracted driving uh, being the leading cause of death for younger people in high school. And and 90% of the time, it's, and I don't know if that's an exact figure or anything, um, it's the kid's fault. It's their reason they got into an accident. They were on their phone, changing the changing the music, texting their friend that they're on their way. Um, and I think that that's so much more dangerous than what you guys were exposed to uh, as kids. So what's the positive side of that then? For example, if, um, if you're looking for a job that provides certain things that some of these larger employers don't provide, are we raising the bar for employers or is there... Uh, what's what's the positive side of these expectations of your generation? Yeah, you know, I think that we expect our employers to bring more value to us than just our salary or the benefits. We're looking for education to happen over the rest of our lives. We're looking for employers that provide more value than just our salary. We are looking to continue education for the rest of our lives, going back to school, getting more uh, potentially artistic, humanities-driven degrees instead of just engineering and business. Um, and we're looking for employers that understand that creativity is a part of being a good employee. And I think that's why so few people want to go work for these older corporations. I mean, Denver is a is a startup hub now. Um, I would say probably 50% of my friends are gonna graduate and go work for a startup rather than uh, you know, Wells Fargo or any other big company wow, based in Denver. Wow, 50%. Yeah. I will say I'm in the entrepreneurial community at DU, so I think specifically in my friends, it's probably like 90%. Right. Um, but outside of my just immediate network, a ton of people are going to go work for companies that are doing really incredible things in the tech space, and they're realizing that, you know, I got an art degree, but I can apply that in, in a tech company, in an app, doing any number of jobs. Um, but you also have companies that are looking for people with those greater, softer skills. Um, and I don't necessarily think universities are, are teaching those soft skills the way that they used to. Uh, and I think that's because students are less resilient than they were before. Let me ask you about politics. Yeah. I saw a Fortune article dated February 6, 2020. It talks about your generation, Gen Z, which would be ages 18 to 23, technically, and millennials, which would be ages 24 to 39. So together, Gen Z and Millennials listeners were talking about ages 18 to 39. Together, those generations are projected to make up 37% of voters in the 2020 presidential election. Yeah. And that's according to uh, the Pew Research Center. Now, both uh, demographics are largely split along party lines, but your Gen Z is actually a little bit more liberal in particular than, uh, than millennials and then my generation. Uh, that's because, according to this article, 
your generation is a little bit more racially diverse, a little bit more educated, and on track to be more secular than other generations. Do you think that, that some of those statistics are true? And what are the issues uh, that your generation is finding more important? Yeah, I think that we're a generation that's really driven by social issues because social issues are what impacts us at every step. Um, climate change, you know, gun violence. I went to Chatfield High School. Like, my brothers were in Chatfield when Columbine happened, and they spent, you know, the better part of a year. Uh, going to class with Columbine students when they came over to our school. Mm. Um, and now, you know, I think that that really impacted the way my parents specifically thought about these types of social issues. And, and I grew up in a fairly Catholic religious household um, that at the time was much more conservative. I think as I've gone through college, uh, much like everybody else, I think you get a little bit more liberal. And now that I'm getting closer to graduating, I might swing back towards that independent streak a little bit. Um, Especially as soon as you start reading the news, you're you're so sick and tired of just hearing all of these horrible things going on that, yeah, it really does feel like the world is burning and we need to do something about it. Um, and I think it's really hard to activate our generation over economic or military issues, fi uh, foreign policy, the way you can um, engage them exactly the way Bernie is, by saying, you guys are not getting jobs, you need to care about climate change and gun violence uh, and diversity and um, so many of these important metrics that are engaging young voters so impactfully that even if we are split, uh, like that article said, between Republicans and Democrats and independents, um, I think that really a lot of us are in, in lockstep on social issues. We need to do something about climate change. We need to do something about gun violence because, in our opinion, uh, the older generations aren't doing anything. We've got congressmen that are sitting in their positions forever and they're not promoting legislation that includes things like background checks. I think national support for background checks is like well above 80%, and nobody in Congress wants to do anything about so, it. So you think that gun control and uh, climate change, for example, you think even your conservative counterparts, many of them might totally. be on the same page as you. Yeah. Really? I think that we're. it's pretty clear where the problems are coming from. It's coming from an unregulated private business enterprise, like private market, I, we're seeing healthcare costs go through the roof, and at the same, you know, America spends more on healthcare than any other nation, and we still somehow, out of all the developed ones, have the worst outcomes. We've got a lower life expectancy than Cuba. We're the only ones that don't have a truly public option uh, for people to be a part of. And I think the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was a great step in the right direction, um, especially in extending that age that you can be on your parents' plan for a little bit longer. Um, you know, I think in my case, that's giving me a ton of freedom. I've got four years now after I graduate that I can go do something a little bit different. I could freelance, I can run my own business, and I can still be on my parents' health care plan for a little bit longer, uh, which is great. Uh, but at the same time, as soon as I've got to start paying those bills, I don't know how much health care costs. If I had to pull out a plan for myself, I have no clue what I would be spending on it. Right. We really just don't know how to operate within this society and this economy that's going on. Uh, but, you know, we do know. We know that these social issues are important. We have opinions on them, and we know it should be done to stop them. And I think that that's, that's regulating private business. It's having a government that we can trust um, and a pendulum that doesn't swing too far. But the worst part is the government's broken. These institutions are broken. Um, and right now, the only thing we can do is, is protest about it and vote. Um, and I think that that's important for us to do. Now, you mentioned uh, Bernie. Uh, I have to ask what your view of the leading Democrat candidates are in this election and uh, 
there's one or two that you like or dislike. Yeah. Um, you know, I was really a, a big fan of, of Pete going into the election. Um, as a gay man myself, I just really sort of appreciated and, and respected seeing a candidate that uh, identified the same as I do running for office, especially at that level. Um, and having a young person coming in with incredible amounts of energy and, you know, a desire to make things better. Uh, but at the same time, you've got candidates like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders that are saying everything is broken. We need to fix everything. In my opinion, they're going too far. I know I'm on a little bit more of the independent conservative side of my generation for sure. Um, so I can't say I'm a fan of Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but I will happily vote for them against Donald Trump because I think the goal right now needs to be um, anybody but Trump. But if you could uh, put them in order, if you got who, who you wanted, who, who would be first and second place? Yeah, uh, probably Pete and Bloomberg. Pete um, Buttigieg yeah. and then Bloomberg, really, yeah. interesting. I'm a huge fan, I love the, the work that he's done with his company and the work that he did in New York. Um, and it's nice to see somebody who's had a little bit of a political ideology crisis in his, you know, in my opinion, he's gone from being a Republican to a Democrat. And he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's spending $400 million on a national campaign uh, because he really believes in himself as the, as the best opposition to Trump. And I am excited to say, like, I think in the future, if, if the race was Bloomberg versus Trump, I think Bloomberg would win. I think Pete would win. I don't think somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren takes the vote. We need the Midwest as Democrats. We need the electoral votes. And we're not struggling for electoral votes in California and New York. We're struggling for electoral votes in Wisconsin and Michigan. And that's where someone like Pete Bloomberg or even Klobuchar registers with voters. Well, that's interesting. I don't share your opinion on that. Um, I think that... Uh, that Bernie's philosophies sort of resonate amongst all kinds of Americans. The mainstream media would not make you think so because uh, sometimes, you know, someone will use the word socialist or even communist, I've heard, uh, which I think is incorrect. Part of the pun, but I think that's being too liberal with the definition of communist. <laughs> right. And I think that a lot of conservatives in middle America might secretly vote for Bernie because they want health care. Yeah. Um, and because they're disillusioned with the disparity in wealth that, that yeah. they have personally experienced. So I think that Bernie, and in every poll, he comes out beating Trump. So I disagree with you. I think Bernie could definitely win this election. But I do like Pete Buttigieg, too, like you do. Um, I'm, I have to I have to push you a little bit on Bloomberg, uh, since you're very socially conscious. Were you familiar with or taken aback by the recent criticism of him with respect to his stop and frisk yes, policies in absolutely. New York City? I think the way that he handled himself in the debate was abhorrent. I think he missed such an opportunity to register with voters, and in a lot of ways, I think he shot himself in the foot. I don't know if he bounces back from that one debate. Um, you know, he spends $400 million to get on the stage and he doesn't know how to answer a question about a horrible policy that he enacted as mayor. The first thing he should have said is, it was wrong. At the time, we thought it was the best solution, but we know better now that this kind of racially driven uh, policing policy is not what works. Um, the first thing he should have done when, when questioned about his history of sexual harassment with women is, is said, absolutely, I want to release them from their NDAs. Everybody should be allowed to share their side of the story. Um, and he's not doing that. And he's got a certain level of arrogance in thinking that everybody should know who he is, that he's done all these great things. And yeah, there's a few problems on the side, but we don't really care about it. I think it was 67 women have, have uh, 
claimed that he sexually harassed or assaulted them. I mean, the number's not even that high for Trump, and we're not going to put one rapist against another. Right. Um, That's why I'm surprised uh, surprised to hear sort of some people in the middle ground in your generation interested in Bloomberg. I mean, the stop and frisk policy alone, in my view, uh, it went on for years. He was supporting it all the way through, you know, five years ago. I don't view it as part of his past. And it was a very racist policy. There were thousands of black men affected. You know, you're just literally walking down the street and suddenly you're being harassed by the police. And it's wouldn't wouldn't be the case if you uh, weren't a person of color. That policy alone sort of, in my view, disqualifies Bloomberg. And I agree with you that he was maybe disingenuous and and he hasn't denounced these things because I don't think that he does or did. And I... uh, I think he spent a lot of money on ads, and so he's managed to reach out and reach a lot of people. And they're anti-Trump ads, so yeah. a lot, most most people on the left can agree with them. But uh, I don't think he's a I don't think he's the right candidate. Yeah, well, and I think it's also amazing what Bernie is doing by focusing so much on developing policies that appeal to minority groups. Um, you know, even Pete Buttigieg, he is the youngest guy on the stage. He's gay. And yet at the same time, he's got the worst uh, approval rating among people my age. Uh, because I don't necessarily think that this race is about Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. I think it's really about institutional in- right. institutions versus uh, sort of a little bit more of a populist streak so and pe- having people. So people think that Buttigieg is maybe too centrist and too m- more of the institutionalized, yeah. you know, Democrats that we've seen, the, the, the next Nancy Pelosi yeah, or the next... Ex- absolutely. Um, yeah. He's not coming out and saying, let's make health care, let's have the public option that we should put everybody on and you have to opt out. Right. Let's not make voting easier. Let's not make education cheaper. Bernie's coming out and he's saying, let's get rid of all your student loans. Of course yeah. he's going to have a... a, a arena full of 17,000 people cheering his name. I might be the one there cheering his name if he could erase my like $40,000 in student loans I'm going to have. And to Mayor Pete's credit, I think it's very hard to expect that a gay candidate would um, be anything but centrist if he's going to be elected. So to his credit, some of that might be campaign strategy, but I I worry about um, him being sort of too centrist, institutionalized, and politician like other than that I really like him but uh, you know and I think Bernie is um, sort of a stronger force and you know in every poll comes across as able to be Donald Trump yeah well if there's anything I think we learned from 2016 it's that the validity of polls uh, is is always something that needs to be questioned good point Um, and I think that the shift that's happening right now especially if you do look at the Democratic um, outcomes in at least New Hampshire and Iowa the moderates still have a majority of the vote. The problem is there's just so many of them. If you are a far-left progressive supporter, you've only got two choices, Warren and Bernie. If you're a centrist, you've got like eight still. And so you're seeing a majority of that vote, I think it's like 70% split between Amy, Biden, Buttigieg, Bloomberg. Um, And so you're seeing a lot more support given behind Bernie and Warren. Um, but I think that as the field thins out a little bit, we'll really start to see somebody like Buttigieg continue to win in these races, take home more delegates, engage more people across a much broader array of the population, rather than just targeting specifically younger voters, people of color, things like that, which is what Bernie and Warren are doing, and they're doing it incredibly well. Interesting. What are conservatives uh, who are your age talking about in terms of this election? Everybody hates Trump. Um, even the Republicans don't like Trump, especially the Republicans my age. He is 
not a representation of what we want our country to be. He does not think before he talks, and that embarrasses us. Um, but at the same time, nobody wants to see our taxes go up 20, 30 percent. Uh, and they don't want to see the pendulum swing towards this European model of healthcare and governance. I think that America is, is by far probably one of the most diverse nations in the world. Um, and I think that it's really important to know that because we come from so many different backgrounds, we don't all think the same way. And so where a nation in Western Europe can develop a socialized medicine plan, um, or China can spend $10 billion on solar energy uh, overnight, uh, those people have faith in their government because it represents them. Our government right now does not represent, it doesn't represent us as young people, and it sure as hell doesn't represent uh, the entire population. Um, and that's really heartbreaking to see, and I think that's why we want to see change at an institutional level rather than just the same old, same old. And so Bernie is doing incredibly well with young voters, and he's got a message that resonates with them. And in 16, we saw Bernie Sanders walk out with more votes and more initial delegates going into the convention, and still somehow Hillary gets the nomination. Um, and Hillary is one of the most hated candidates I think we've ever had. Right. I mean, her and Trump, their, their disapproval rating was so much higher uh, than their support metrics. And I now was, I was one of the people completely disillusioned by the DNC's yeah. behavior in that in that race. And I'm I'm registered unaffiliated, not Democrat, but I'm very yeah, left well. leaning. And uh, yeah, the fact that uh, Hillary took the nomination was disturbing, I think, yeah. to many of us. And the way that it happened, it was so backdoor, and and our generation doesn't like that. We're all about radical transparency and candor. One of the values of my company literally is radical transparency. And it's the idea that we are as honest to our clients as we want them to be to us, and we are as honest to our team as we want our team to be with us. Uh, me and my, my co-founder, we expect our employees to be to have the same level of candor with us. Um, and I think that that's really important because as a generation, we already do. We're much more willing to speak our mind. And so we should build institutions that carry those same values. And the DNC does not represent those values at all. So what happens if the DNC does it again and does the same thing in this election? At what point does your generation become disillusioned and well, sort of throw up <laughs> their hands like? Yeah. I think at that point, we see a massive shift towards an unaffiliated uh, a younger population. I think Colorado is still pretty evenly split between the three, Republican, Democrat, and unaffiliated. Correct, about a third each, roughly. Yeah. I think if we continue to see this level of backroom dealing, super delegates, party elite deciding what happens, uh, I think there is a future in which a third party or an independent wave could really have an impact. Colorado last year, not last year, in 2016, ran several independent candidates. One of my first campaign jobs was managing an independent state house campaign for House District 22, Mary Parker. Um, and she's running again this next year. Um, and it's exciting to see that, that potentially there's a lot of support to be given behind an independent. Um, I grew up in Littleton, and so it's a very conservative part of sure. the Denver metro area. And to see a liberal-leaning independent gaining some steam and getting some traction uh, I think Republicans are just as disillusioned with their party as the Democrats are with ours. And we're going to see a certain level of tear it all down, let's start from scratch, and let's have a third party. We just got to see some major changes happen first, especially at the federal level. One of the philosophies of this podcast is that uh, our generation has become less and less willing to talk to the other side mm -hmm. and more and more polarized. 
and, and our country as a whole, as you know, has become more and more polarized. Is that any different uh, with students or people in your generation? Are you having discussions with conser conservatives? Are people on the right and the left having conversations, listening to each other, being genuinely curious about each other's ideas and, uh, well, maybe not agreeing, you know, able yeah. to carry on conversation? You know, so uh, referencing that book again, The Coddling of the American Mind, the way social media and internet, the way we thought it was going to happen was, oh, it'll expand our networks, it'll expand us to reaching people that are not like us. All it's done is connect us to people that are just like us, just in different states. True. And so we're exposed to the same social thought bubbles that are just keeping us in the same things. I am a, I'm an unaffiliated person. I'm a liberal unaffiliated person. If I sit in my economics class and say that socialized medicine is too far left or not able to happen in the United States, there's a good chance a majority of my class is not going to like me anymore. And and that's really heartbreaking. We've seen uh, conservative students run for student government positions, and we've seen Turning Point show up, at, and Turning Point uh, being a student organization that's um, very right-leaning, um, in my opinion, too far right-leaning, but uh, nevertheless. And these students are openly ostracized, and I think all that's doing is just forcing us deeper and deeper into our own silos and um, internalizing more of our things and being unwilling to have those conversations. Uh, but I think you're exactly right that these conversations need to happen. You need to be able to sit across the table from somebody that disagrees with you and actually talk about the facts and not the the way that they said it or the you know just the content of it. You need to really be able to dive deep into where ideologies come from. Right. And I think that the way our generation is shifting, education is allowing this to happen. The lack of nonpartisan news sources is mind-boggling. True. Uh, our university just expanded our free news program, so now all of our students have access to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal for free. Um, and I think it's great to see these kinds of moves being made. Um, but one of our, you know, one of my company's first clients was the Colorado Media Project, and it was attempting to expand the reach of local news to younger and more diverse audiences, because uh, local news right now is an unsustainable business model. Uh, nobody wants to spend $5 a month or $10, $15 a month on getting the Denver Post, uh, especially when the Denver Post is owned by a hedge fund. We want to see things I like... I do. Yeah. <laughs> we I, wanna su I subscribe as well as some of the national papers. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a huge subscriber to local news. I love getting Westward and Denverite and CPR uh, available to me, and I'm happy to make a donation at any time yeah. that I have the chance. Um, but it it is really difficult to see that no longer do stories have a local impact. Any of the news that I'm reading, most of it at least, is at the national level. Right. Nobody's telling the stories of people that live down the street. Nobody's telling the stories of what the mayor is doing or the policies that he's pushing except for this pit bull thing. Uh, but I think anything with dogs always seems to get a lot more traction uh, than things without. I run a, my company about a year ago bought a food blog and we did one post with a dog, and to this day, it's the highest performing post we ever had. For sure. And we're a food blog. Like, we don't even do we don't even do animals. Um, and so I think that we need to come back to our roots a little bit. We need to reconnect with our communities. We need to have a sense of togetherness. Um, and I don't think social media is the way that that happens. I think it's a tool of how it happens. But I think all social media is doing us doing to us right now is dividing us, sending us into pits of anxiety and depression and this idea of what an idealized life looks like from an Instagram influencer uh, to what life is actually like. Um, and I think the only way we learn that is by reconnecting with the people near us, taking our AirPods out and actually having a conversation when you walk to class, 
um, and being aware that there are stories that impact us every day of our life. Exactly. There's so much propaganda both in social media and with some of the the mainstream news sources that is uh, so far removed from normal everyday Americans having conversation like this. So while I'm disappointed to hear that uh, that your generation is looks maybe just as polarized as mine, I'm excited that you will be uh, one of the people in, in your generation uh, to be a proponent of continued discussion, conversation with with others, regardless of their views, uh, sort of this this dialogue that is more real than what yeah. we're getting in social media and in the, in the mainstream media. Well, you just said a really great word, dialogue, and I think that, that that is such an important skill that so many people, no matter their age, struggle with. It is so hard to sit and hear someone disagree with you so openly, so adamantly, and be able to continue a conversation with them. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's that's all we've got. All we've got is our vote and our and our money, and we've got to spend it wisely and think about what types of businesses we want to support and what type of community we want to build and be a part of, uh, and the type of leaders we want to represent us. And I think that as our generation gets out of college and moves into careers, uh, we'll see a shift back towards that. And I really hope we get localized again uh, at every level. Good for you, Scott. Um, I've really enjoyed talking with you, and thank you for sharing your perspective. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Redviewblueview at gmail.com. Email us and tell us your thoughts. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you so much.